Well, today we are continuing the series called God's Answers to Life's Difficult Questions, and you already know what the topic is this morning. Um, how do I overcome depression? And I thought it might be good to talk just for a few moments about some of the symptoms of depression so you can recognize these in yourself as well as in others. One of the um, prominent symptoms of depression is just being really tired all of the time. And this exhaustion is not only physical, it's mental and even spiritual, and it makes it hard to make decisions, makes it difficult to complete everyday tasks like taking out the garbage or washing the dishes or paying the bills. Here's another symptom of depression. Everyone and everything annoys you, like all the time. It's like the woman who was talking to her friend and said, hey, did you wake up grumpy today? And she said, no, I let him sleep in. Um, chronic irritability is certainly a symptom of depression. Here are some others. Um, you eat too much or you eat too little. You sleep too much or you can't sleep at all. Um, another symptom is that you lose interest in things that you normally are excited about. Sometimes as people go through depression, they really don't care much about how they look. just is not important to them. Um, you don't feel like being around people. Sometimes people who are depressed will withdraw from social interaction. And here's another, and this is not an exhaustive list, but here's one that we need to be aware of. Um, sometimes when people are very depressed, they think about dying and what that would actually be like. Now, certainly there are different degrees of depression. Uh, sometimes you're going through a mild depression that you could pretty much handle on your own, maybe with the encouragement of some friends. But on the other end of the continuum is this really deep depression that requires professional help. And let me say this as we begin this morning. This message is about depression, but even more so it's about hope. Because we live in a world where it is very easy for people to lose hope. And we all need the encouragement that comes from God's people and the encouragement that comes from God's word. Now it's interesting that the word depression is not found in the Bible very often except for a few translations, but we do find similar words. Words like downcast, brokenhearted, miserable, mourning, despairing. And throughout the Bible, you find stories about regular people, people like us, people who are trying to trust God, and yet they go through periods of time in their lives where they feel hopeless and depressed. And the stories in this book remind us that we can live with hope. In fact, let me show you a Bible verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible that points this out to us. It's from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For everything that was written in the past, and this is speaking of the Old Testament scriptures in particular, everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Yeah, we might have hope. Many people in the Bible struggled with depression and needed hope. For example, King David in the Old Testament. He went through times of incredible sadness and grief because he had failed God. And there were things that happened in his family, in his personal life. He was deeply affected by the loss of his sons and he grieved that, that loss in his life. And then there was Jonah. Remember Jonah, the prophet who ran from God? And God tracked him down. He got swallowed by a giant fish and God said, no, you're still going to Nineveh. And so he goes and he, he delivers this message and to his surprise, the people of Nineveh actually listened and they repent and they turn to God and he is really angry because he actually hated the people of Nineveh and he's so angry that he gets so depressed, he says this, now Lord, take my life 
for it is better for me to die than to live. And then there's Job. The man who suffered the loss of so many things, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his family, and he was so discouraged and so sad that he says this, why didn't I die at birth, my first breath, out of the womb, my last? And the list goes on. There's Moses. Moses battled discouragement and depression because he was trying to lead this, this group of people, these Israelites who were always complaining against God, and Moses was just fed up sometimes, and he just wanted to give up and quit. And then you've got somebody like Jeremiah, who's actually known as the weeping prophet. And his life was really a challenge. He lived alone. He never got married. He battled insecurity and fear and depression. And even Jesus himself was no stranger to sorrow and grief. In fact, there's a verse in the book of Isaiah, and it's talking about this one who will come. And it's a prophecy about Jesus, and it says that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And if you know the story about what happens at the end of his life, he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he calls his friends to pray with him and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So we have so many characters in the Bible that have battled hopelessness and depression. And we're going to focus on one of those characters this morning. His name is Elijah. And this story, if you've got your Bible with you, is in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you're using one of the brown Bibles that we provided, it's going to be on page 285. But before we turn there, I want to show you a verse from the New Testament. It's really a commentary on Elijah. Very short statement, but very important. It says this, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a human being just like us. He wasn't this spiritual superhero. He struggled with life. And at one point, he's so overwhelmed, so physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. He just doesn't want to go on. And there's some really important things that we can learn from his story that will help us, not just to help ourselves, but to help others. Now, before we leap into chapter 19, I need to go back and tell you what's going on in chapter 18 so you have the context. Now, here's what happens in chapter 18. Now, Elijah is a prophet. That's his job. He's a messenger from God. And he has this contest with these other false prophets, hundreds of them. And they worship a God named Baal. And so they're going to have this contest on top of the mountain to figure out whose God is the real deal. And here's how it takes place. Sort of like a, a shootout at the OK Corral. You know, Elijah versus all these other prophets. So they go to the top of the mountain and they get to prepare a sacrifice. And then they're going to pray to their God to call down fire to incinerate the sacrifice. So Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first. So they prepare their sacrifice and they start praying and praying and they do this for hours and finally around noon, Elijah really starts to taunt them. And he says, hey, hey, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Pray louder. And they do and nothing happens. And so it's now Elijah's turn. So he prepares his sacrifice and then just to make sure that everybody knows exactly what's gonna happen, he pours water on it three times. Then he says, God, show yourself real to the people of Israel. He prays, and if you know the story, this fireball from heaven comes down and just burns up everything. And the people of Israel fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like for Elijah? I mean, that was literally a mountaintop experience. But what happens after you're way, way up emotionally? What often happens? Yeah, you fall off the cliff and you end up way, way down here emotionally. And that's what happens to Elijah. Now, I need to tell you about some of the players in this story. 
Um, one is King Ahab. Now, he is arguably the worst king that Israel has had to date. But he's not nearly as bad as his wife Jezebel, who is, as I say, bad to the bone. And I will tell you some reasons for that later. But they really hate Elijah. And so we pick the story up here in chapter 19 where we read this. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. This was the consequence of them losing this contest. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. This is essentially a death threat from the queen to Elijah. Now, just a quick note about Jezebel. She's not actually Jewish. She's from a place called Sidon. And so she marries Ahab, and Ahab does this. He, he brings her onto his cabinet. She is the minister of religion for the whole nation of Israel, and she has one goal, to destroy the worship of God. And her plan is to do this. If she can just destroy all the prophets of God, then nobody will worship God. So it's not a particularly good time to go into ministry in Israel. Now, the events that are unfolding in Elijah's life send him into this downward spiral where he ends up so depressed that he just wants God to take his life. Now, as we consider the story, what are some causes of depression that we see? And, and how do these apply to us? Well, here is the first, and this is on your outline, conflict. Conflict. Elijah has some serious interpersonal conflict going on. The king and the queen want him dead. And this conflict is wearing Elijah out emotionally and physically and spiritually. I heard a story about these um, two men who lived in a small village, and they had this dispute they couldn't resolve. So they went to the town sage, and so the town sage listened to the first man, and he shared his story, and he looks at him and goes, you know what, you're absolutely right. And then the town sage listened to the other man, he shared his side of the story, and sage thinks for a minute, he says, you know, you're absolutely right. Well, the town sage's wife overhears these conversations, and she goes to her husband and scolds him and says, wait a minute, that, you, they can't both be right, that, that's impossible. And he looks at his wife and he says, honey, you're absolutely right. How many of you retreat from conflict in your life? That's kind of your default mode. And let me ask you this. How does, how does conflict make you feel emotionally? I don't know about you, but, um, but <laughs> conflict wears me out. And that's exactly what's happening here to Elijah. So what does he do to deal with this conflict? Well, it says Elijah was afraid and stood up to the queen. What did he do? Yeah, he runs away. He runs for his life. Why? Because of this fear. He is really, really afraid. So what are you afraid of? Really, what wakes you up in the middle of the night? Do you have some financial fears? That you'll lose your job, that you'll lose your insurance, that you'll lose your business? Do you have fears about your marriage, that it could fall apart? Do you have fears about your family? Do you have fears about your kids if you're a parent? That they might make a really bad choice and suffer irreparable harm? You know, it could be this morning that what you're afraid of is that somebody will find out what you're doing because it's something you're trying to hide. Or maybe it's the fear that, you know, I I'm, I'm just not certain my life is ever going to work out the way I want it to. Fear can really wear us out emotionally. 
and lead us into depression. And that's exactly what we see as the story continues. It says, when he, Elijah, came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey <clears throat> into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. God, I'm done. Just get this over with. Now, at this point, it's important to realize that Elijah has traveled an entire day into the desert all by himself. He doesn't have anybody to put their arm around his shoulder and say, hey, buddy, I know you're feeling really, really bad and really, really sad, but you know what? It's, it's going to be okay. He is completely alone. And this points out another cause of depression, isolation. See, God never intended for us to face the challenges of life alone. And for many people, our tendency when we're emotionally exhausted, when we're starting to feel depressed, is not to reach out and build bridges. Our tendency sometimes is to build walls. Elijah chooses to leave the servant behind and go into the desert alone. And honestly, sometimes we make the same choice. We leave our friends and our family behind, and we go alone into this desert of discouragement and depression. Now, in a few moments, we're going to talk about the importance of seeking help when you're feeling depressed. But let me make two quick observations about Elijah here, because I think these are really fascinating. Number one, he's so alone that he actually says, God, would you just kill me? Just take my life. I'm done. Now, how does God respond? Well, if you look at the whole story, God's response is really remarkable because God does just the opposite. Elijah is one of those rare individuals who makes it out of this world alive. I mean, how does he get home to heaven? There is a chariot of fire, so he never even dies. Isn't that remarkable? And here's something else. He is so alone. At least he feels like there's nobody who cares about me, nobody who understands at the end of the story in chapter 19, God calls Elijah to go anoint his successor, Elisha. And they develop this really close, encouraging friendship. So isn't that amazing, just God's grace in Elijah's life? And listen, you know, if you're somebody who's feeling alone this morning, if you feel like nobody cares, nobody understands, that's a good thing to pray for. Say, God, would you please give me a friend who, who will be there for me no matter what? And if you have a friend like that this morning, thank God for that friend. Well, let me point out one more thing that can cause us to feel depressed. It comes from verse 10, where Elijah is talking to God. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. In other words, I worked my tail off for you, God. The Israelites, however, have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And notice what he says here. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, what's going on here? Elijah feels like a failure. He feels like a failure. I mean, it's bad enough that the king and the queen haven't turned back to God, but now the whole nation is just refusing to repent, refusing to listen. I have failed you, God, as a prophet. Do you ever feel like a failure in your life? Do you ever feel like you've failed as a husband or a wife, as a parent, as a friend? Failure can really wear us out emotionally and lead to discouragement and depression. And the question is, how can we turn this around? How can we start to move away from our discouragement and depression 
toward the kind of life that God wants us to experience, which is a life of peace and joy and purpose. How can we make that transition? Well, here's some of the things that we learned from the story of Elijah. The first is this, rest your body. It's really important when you're discouraged and depressed just to rest your body. After Elijah says, you know, God, I've had enough, just kill me now, what happens next? Well, here's what happens next. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. How many of you have ever been in a preschool classroom? We've got some preschool classrooms here in our church. Do you know why kids, preschool kids, love to go to school? Because they get a snack and they get to take a nap. I'm sure there's a lot of preschool teachers that would like to join them sometimes. But that's exactly what happens to Elijah. God gives him a snack and then he takes a nap, not once but twice. And notice this, when Elijah is so discouraged and despondent that he's suicidal, God doesn't scold him. God doesn't give him a sermon. God knows how important it is for him to rest his body. And listen, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat and go to sleep. I do it on Sunday afternoons all the time. And I encourage you to do it too. Why? Because when you get rest, and, and think about this, when you get a really good night's sleep, doesn't that change your per perspective on everything? That's so true. And let me say this, in addition to resting your body, it's important to remember that there are certain medical conditions that can cause depression. And there are times when medication is essential. Let me say that again. There are times when medication is essential to effectively treat depression. And I know that there are some different opinions within the Christian community. Some people, and I've heard this teaching, you know, when you're depressed, what you need to do is pray more and read your Bible more and serve more. And certainly, there's value in that. But often, when somebody's really depressed, clinically depressed, it's not enough. I mean, think about this. If somebody has diabetes, would you just tell them, all you need to do is to pray harder and to read more scripture and to serve more? No, there's something going on in their body. There's medication they need to take, and that can be the case when you're dealing with depression as well. And so I just want to encourage you, if you or somebody you know and care about is going through a significant depression, they need a medical evaluation to get the help they need. Well, here's something else that can help turn around depression. Release your frustrations to God. Release your frustrations to God. Now, the fact is we all need a safe place to release our frustrations. Now, why is that the case? Because life is frustrating. And we talked about this last week. We talked about managing anger and how there are different choices that we can make because really it is the frustration that leads us often to anger. And we talked about this last week that sometimes you just vent your anger. You just pour it out. And of course, that's not a really good option because it can hurt you and hurt others. And we talked about this. Remember the ball? How you can try to hold on to anger and you hold it under the surface and then your arms get tired and it just erupts. It comes to the surface. And if you try to hold on to that anger, that anger can lead you to become discouraged and lead you to become depressed. So what do you do with all these frustrations? You release them to God. That's exactly what Elijah does in this story. Now look at verse 14. 
he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Does that sound familiar? It is, because verse 10 and verse 14 are exactly the same. Elijah is so frustrated, he's repeating himself. Ever do that? I have. See, sometimes we get really upset, really frustrated, and we can't even find the words to express what we're feeling. So what do you do when that happens? Here's what I do. I read this book. Because there's a, a section of the Bible that is so helpful. It's called the book of Psalms. And so many times in the Psalms, the, the people that are writing are frustrated and they're, they're sad and they're pouring out their hearts to God. And we can take those words of Scripture to give us a voice, to repeat their lament back to God and say, hey God, me too. And I encourage you to do that. It's a great way to to pour out your frustrations to God. Well, here's the third thing we can do to move away from depression. Reorient your thinking. Reorient your thinking. I mean, Elijah finds himself in a really, really bad place as we come to chapter 19. And the question is, how did he get there? How did he get so low emotionally that he just doesn't want to live anymore? And the short answer is this, faulty thinking. What the Bible teaches is that our thoughts affect our emotions and our emotions affect our behavior. So if you want to change your behavior, if you want to affect your emotions, you have to change the way you think. And here's one of the most important things you can do. Focus on facts, not just feelings. Now, feelings are important, but so are facts. And one of the reasons that Elijah is so depressed is that he's focusing not on the facts, but on how he feels. Because the fact is, well, he says this. He says, "Um, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet left, and now they're trying to kill me. Is that true? No, it's not. And Elijah knows it, because there's this other prophet, his name is Obadiah, and he's hidden a hundred prophets from Queen Jezebel. But Elijah's not thinking about the facts, he's just focused on, on what? His feelings. And that could be called emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning, reasoning goes like this, I feel like a failure, therefore I am a failure. I feel like God's not close, therefore God's not close. I, I feel hopeless, therefore, I am hopeless. Listen, feelings can mislead you. Sometimes feelings are not in line with the facts. Now, here's another way that we need to reorient reorient our thinking. Don't blame yourself for things beyond your control. Don't blame yourself for things beyond your control. See, Elijah is taking responsibility for things that he can't control. The king and the queen, they haven't repented or turned to God. Neither has the nation. Is that Elijah's fault? Is that something he can control? Well, absolutely not. Now, here's the thing. Do you ever blame yourself for things beyond your control? Think about that. Do you ever blame yourself for things that are beyond your control? Do you ever say, you know, I've worked really, really hard to be a good parent. I'm not perfect, but I've tried the best that I can, and my kids have still made some really bad choices. I am one lousy parent. What about this, the wife who says, you know, I've really tried so hard to love my husband and to be there for him and to provide what he needs, and yet he went out and had an affair. Must be my fault. Or the teenager who says, you know, I really love my mom and my dad, and I tried really, really hard to keep them together, but they got a divorce. It must be my fault. Listen carefully, church. You cannot control the choices of other people. 
we can only influence the choices of other people. And so we need to be careful not to blame ourselves for things beyond our control. Okay, quick review. Are you ready? You can look at your notes. All right, some things we can do to deal with discouragement and depression. The first is, what is it? Rest your body. Number two, release your frustrations to God. Number three, reorient your thinking. And finally, respond to God's call. Respond to God's call. There's a movie called The Patriot. How many of you have seen The Patriot? It's really quite a, a fascinating story of a man, um, Benjamin Martin, played by Mel Gibson. And he is a farmer in South Carolina. And he's haunted by his brutal past as a soldier in the French-Indian War. And when the American Revolution comes, he decides that he's going to stay on the sidelines. He doesn't want to enlist in the cause because now he says that he's a pacifist and he wants to protect his family. But then one of the British officers kills one of his sons and that changes everything. And so this character played by Mel Gibson, he enlists. He actually becomes the leader of this ragtag militia. And as the story continues to unfold, his oldest son, Gabriel, is killed by the same British officer. And for this character played by Mel Gibson, that's it. I mean, he is overwhelmed with sadness and grief, and he's ready to quit the cause. Let's take a look. Bury him. I'll bury him. My wife in Alexandria is with child. My first. I fight for that child. Benjamin, nothing will replace your sons. But if you come with us, you can justify their sacrifice. Why? Why do men feel they can justify death? Is it arrogance? I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. Benjamin, we have a chance. Green and Dan Morgan are down from Virginia. If we win this next battle, victory in the war is within our grasp. Go then, seek your victory. I'm small issue to it. Uh... You're wrong, Benjamin. You matter to your men and to others as well your victories and, and your losses are shared by more than you know. Stay with us. Stay the course.
I have run my course. When life is really hard and we're overwhelmed by sadness and grief, we may feel exactly the same way. I've run my course. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And that's exactly how Elijah felt. And how does God respond? Not just to Elijah. How does God respond to us when we find ourselves in that place? The story continues. Let me read these words to you. The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, imagine what Elijah is thinking at this point. Oh, man, this is it. Now God is going to show up personally, and he's just going to, he's going to let me have it. He's going to tell me how disappointed he is in me. But this is what happens next. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, why would God ask that question? What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, you see, Elijah was running away from what God had called him to do. And right now, he's exhibiting classic signs of depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, a distorted perspective on reality. And, and he must, you know, have that voice in his head saying, man, you're such a coward, you're such a failure. How could God use somebody like you? And at this point, he's feeling pretty useless. His future's looking really bleak. So what does God do? Well, this is absolutely amazing. Look at these words. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, Elijah, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat to succeed you as a prophet. What in the world is going on here? God's telling Elijah to go anoint three people because that's what prophets do. God is reminding Elijah of his purpose. And friends, I'll tell you this. When you remember God's purpose, when you get up and re-engage in God's purpose, it changes everything. Let me just close with this thought. God does not want you or me to go through life feeling discouraged and depressed. When you have discouraging thoughts, those are not the thoughts that God is putting in your head. Those thoughts are coming from your heart or from your enemy, and we need to recognize that. But how can we really battle discouragement? How can we fight depression? Here's what I believe is the foundational way we do that. Are you ready? It's a summary of the whole message. Preach the gospel to yourself. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know what the gospel is because we talk about it all the time. It's the good news about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. Now, when you're a Christian, you can look in the mirror 
and say, you know what, I really matter to God. He cares about what's going on in my life. Yeah, I understand the bad news because I'm somebody who's failed so many times. I've got a lot of faults. I'm a sinner. And I know that in the past, my sin has separated me from God because God's holy and I'm not. And I understand that because God is just, he's got to punish my sins. But because God loves me so much, that's why Jesus came. Because on the cross, this is what happened. God took my sins and put them on Jesus and he took the punishment for me. He died the death that I deserved. And then he came back to life and he has offered me a new life and I've taken it. And that means that I know I know my past is settled, that I'm completely forgiven. I know that my future is assured, and I can trust God to keep every promise he's ever made. And I know that right now, I can live one more day. I can live one more hour, because God is with me, and God is for me, and nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. And because these things are true, I can live with hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you that those things are true. Those things, I believe, are what you want us to hear from your heart to ours this morning. And Father, I pray for our church family. I pray for everybody here today. Lord, some of us are going through a really tough time right now, and we really, really need you to lift our head and lift our heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of your purpose. You've given us a good purpose to know you and trust you and love you, to engage in your mission in this world. God, I pray. I pray so much, God, for those who are wrestling right now that, Lord, if this is a significant issue, they would seek help, that they would talk to somebody and not suffer alone or in silence. Father, I pray that you would encourage us. And I pray that that's happened this morning through the, the scriptures, because you told us that's what these stories are designed to do. And Lord, I pray today for the one who maybe for the first time has realized that they need Jesus. Father, I pray that right here, right now, they would just, in their hearts, say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe Jesus died for me, that he rose from the dead and I want to follow him. Because God, that changes everything. And Lord, I pray as we sing this last song, this song about your faithfulness, that you have never failed us yet. Lord, may these words sink deep into our hearts and fill us with hope, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand and sing about God's faithfulness together.